and take a seat. Go ahead and take a seat. Uh, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Dan, and I have the privilege of serving here as one of the pastors alongside Jason Phillips. We're really grateful that you're here with us today for, uh, this is our second Sunday as a church family. This is, right, this is an exciting day. This, is, this really is an exciting day, and, and in fact, it, not just because it is our second uh, Sunday, here's LifePoint Worthington, but because today at LifePoint, we are calling this Life Change Sunday, which means across all of our campuses, across six campuses, we will probably see around 70 people uh, decide to, to make the decision that they are going to be baptized that they are going to make a public statement uh, that in Jesus, they have been made new, that they, they are not who they once were, that they have been transformed, right? And this is a huge deal for our church because it's a reminder that Jesus is still at work uh, in the church community, that he is doing something that we get to be a part of a live and active movement of God in the uh, area of Columbus. And it's just an exciting thing for us to be a part of today. Right, because with each person getting baptized, and we're going to see one today, uh, with each person getting baptized comes the larger, the longer, sometimes complicated, messy story of how they got to the place that they were. Right, today really is a beautiful Sunday, not just at LifePoint Worthington, but across all six of our campuses. And honestly, one of the things I enjoy most as a pastor, uh, is to be part of somebody's baptism. Baptisms and weddings are just absolutely incredible uh, to be a part of. It, 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 I mean, y'all are missing out, okay? Uh, because you, there's just this privilege of being invited into a really uh, kind of a sacred moment in someone's life, right, when you participate in baptism. And I often have the, the, the privilege of having a front row seat to hear the story of transformation, what transpired in this person's life to get them to the place where they've said, hey, I, I am not who I once was. Jesus has done a work in my life. It's such a privilege to be able to have that story that I get to uh, see and be a part of. And but I also know, right, that uh, not everybody is as excited about baptism as I am. It, it, it kind of comes with the territory, right? Like I'm a pastor, I'm supposed to be excited about baptism. Y'all might not share that excitement yet. Wait till I'm done preaching. I think we've got a word today uh, for you. But uh, it, it, baptism really is, if you think about it, it's kind of an odd thing. Right, some of you have grown up in or around a church community your, your entire lives. I want you to pause for a moment and just kind of strip away the fact that you may have seen this done many times. Maybe if you've been uh, a part of a church that this happens often, you've seen it several times a year. But, but, but it really is like kind of an odd thing uh, for someone to go underwater and come back out of water and for people to be all excited and, you know, clap about it. And there's kind of this sense of like, well, what, what, is, what does water going underwater have to do with anything anyway. In fact, I'll tell you how weird it is. A couple uh, months ago, uh, when we were still in Chicago, the church that Courtney and I had been a part of, we would gather, uh, we were in downtown Chicago, we would gather every year on Lake Michigan on one of the most popular beaches in Chicago uh, with several hundred people, and we would host baptism services, right? And our kids got to see it, they were, they were a part of it, they, they watched people going under the water, coming up, and people celebrating, and uh, well, anyway, the next day, uh, my son and daughter were swimming in our neighbor's pool, our neighbors were not followers of Christ. They'd not really been a part of a church at all, ever. And all of a sudden, I hear, 
Malachi, don't do that, don't do that. Malachi's my son. And I walk out and he's like holding our neighbor under the water. Um, and I'm like, Malachi, what, what are, you know we, we don't dunk people in the water? He's like, what, Dad, I was just, I was just baptizing them. And my neighbor was like, uh, get your kid out of my pool. <laughs> That's really weird. Uh, fortunately, we had a great relationship with them and you know, we, we had a good laugh about it later. And like, Malachi, we don't really force that upon people in the pool, okay? I know you're five, that, that's fine. Well, we've got a lot of explaining to do for, uh, for him. But, but when, when you look at it from that way, like baptism can, can kind of be odd. It's this strange practice. And some of us have maybe grown up in an environment where it's like in this realm of like pseudo ritualistic, not really sure what it's trying to communicate. We know that sometimes entire denominations are named after this thing. So it must be a big deal to somebody somewhere. We may not be exactly sure why, but today my hope is that when we're done, uh, we're not just on the same page about why baptism is an important step for any follower of Jesus. But my hope is that together, we would marvel at the story baptism tells, the story that each and every baptism tells, that, that may, maybe you would be stirred or moved somewhere deep within your own soul to say, I, I need to be a part of that. I need to participate in this. And, and that together we would be able to celebrate the profound story of transformation that Jesus brings in the hearts, the minds, and the lives of his people. And so to do that today, uh, we're, we're gonna, this will feel like a, maybe a little bit different kind of a sermon than uh, normal. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna build this around some bigger questions. So for a moment, it's gonna feel like we're gonna step into the classroom uh, for, for a couple minutes. I promise, I promise we're gonna get to church later on today. But for a moment, we're gonna step into the classroom. Uh, but as we get started, let me pray uh, and we'll jump into uh, today's work. Father, we are just... Uh, so grateful for your kindness. We're grateful to be in this room gathered uh, with people. And some of all of us have uh, different stories. Some of us have grown up uh, being a part of a church community and uh, we, we have been baptized at some point in our past. Uh, Father, I pray that you would, uh, you would help us reimagine the beauty, the story that baptism is telling. Other of us, others of us came here today on the arm of a friend or because someone invited us. Or, uh, we may not even be sure why we're sitting in a church on Sunday morning at all. God, I pray that you would speak clearly to us. That you would do more than just challenge our thinking, but you would change our hearts. Father, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but we would be doers of your word. And Lord, we're also mindful that at the 10 o'clock hour in Columbus uh, on Sunday morning, there are many, many other churches meeting right now who love you uh, and want to serve you and, and see this entire area, the world transformed by the power of Jesus. But I pray specifically uh, for our friends at Ethos Church just up the street, God, that you'd meet them today as they gather 
Lord, that you would invigorate uh, their pastor as he preaches, that he would bring the word to life, uh, God, and that you would mobilize your people across the city to be agents of change in a world of chaos for your fame and glory. So we ask that you use this time today, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and get started. Here's the first question. should be on the screen behind me for just a minute. This is the obvious question. What is baptism? What is baptism? Now, this should be a very easy question to answer, but what we're going to find out is that uh, there is no uh, simple answer to what is baptism. We're going to unpack this uh, a little bit. But if you have a Bible with you, why don't you open with me to the New Testament book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans. We're going to be in chapter six. Uh, if you need help finding that in your Bibles, you just go you know, right, right to the middle and then scoot over to the right a little bit. It's in the last three quarters of the, the Bible. If you're in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, keep going to the right. Uh, if you're in the Corinthians, you've gone too far. And the table of contents is always your friend, right? No judgment here. No judgment here. All right, Romans chapter 6. We're going to be in the first couple verses today, first four verses. You can follow along in your fake Bibles on your phone if you have that, uh, or you can look on the screen behind me. Here we go. Romans 6, starting in verse 1, says this. Uh, Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Here's what we need to know. One, this is uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing a letter to a church in, the, in, in Rome, right? This is a church he has never been to. He's not visited. He's heard about it. Uh, and he's trying to correct some issues that have been reported to him. This is written somewhere around 55 AD, very early on in uh, the Christian uh, tradition and story in, in Rome. And he's, he's, he's heard about an issue. And what he wants them to understand is something about the way that they're supposed to live as followers of Jesus. The question question that they've been asking is, uh, if you go back and read Romans chapter 5, 4, and 5 into chapter 6, Paul has been talking about how incredible grace is. And God, God's grace, just, it, 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 uh, it, it is the whole thing for the Christian story, right? He's been going on and on about this in chapter 4 and 5. And uh, finally, he asked the question in verse 6, or in chapter 6, hey, uh, if grace is so good and, and God responds to our sin through grace, why not just keep sinning, right, so that we get more grace? Like, as if sin is like the, uh, the way we can pull this cosmic vending machine of grace. And he says, no, it doesn't work like that. So don't, don't you understand, when you become a follower of Jesus, you have, in a sense, died to your old way of life. Right, that, that's not who you are anymore. There's something profound that has taken shape uh, in your life. You, you are not that person anymore. There, there's a new kind of life, a new lifestyle for you as a follower of Jesus. And to, to make that point, to, to hit it home, he says, don't you remember your baptism? This is interesting. Look again at verse three. Verse three, do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Here's what we need to know. 
Romans 6 is probably the most detailed explanation of what baptism is in the New Testament, at least in terms of what is going on behind the scenes, what it means, right? There's other places that talk about baptism with, you know, more words, but in terms of what's happening, uh, the mechanics of it, Romans 6 is the place to go. And I find it really interesting uh, that Paul, when he writes to this church in Rome, remember, a church he's never been to, he just assumes that they all know about baptism, right? He doesn't go into a ton of detail, but he says, don't, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized were baptized into his, that he can talk about it like that uh, because it has been a regular part of the Christian story from the very beginning. It's something he can, he, he just, he knows that they've been doing it. They've been continuing it. In fact, uh, historically, we know that baptism is one of the earliest consistent practices of followers of Jesus, Right, it was something that was happening in every, every church from the very beginning. But here's where things get a little bit more complicated. And again, here's where we're gonna have to go to school for a second. I promise we'll get back to church. Remember, the New Testament, we're asking the question, what is baptism? The New Testament was written not in English, it was written in Greek ancient Greek, Koine Greek, which was the, the lingua franca of the, the, the area, right? That's just a trade language, it's a common language, was Koine Greek. And that was the language the New Testament was originally written in. So the Bibles that we have today, maybe the one you're holding right now, uh, if you're looking at it in English, it was not written in English. It was written in this language of Greek. And so we have to translate uh, from that ancient language into our modern languages. What's interesting about the word baptism uh, is that this is one of the few words that shows up in our Bible that is actually never translated. No one ever translates this word. What we have instead is a word that has been transliterated. Let me explain what this means for a second. Here's the difference. When you translate one word into another language, what you do is you take the meaning in the original language and find the corresponding word in the new language. Just like, like if you were to say, uh, Hola in Spanish, right, means hello in English. When you transliterate a word, you don't worry about the meaning at all. You take the, the letters and find the corresponding letters in the new language, right? So it has nothing to do with meaning. It has everything to do with letters so that the word just sounds the same. It rolls off the tongue. In fact, if you know any other languages, in most other languages, the word for baptism is going to sound very similar to Baptism, he's gonna sound like that. In the original language, Greek here, uh, this is the word uh, baptizo, right? We've just transliterated the word. We haven't brought any meaning. Do you see the problem with that? This is where it gets complicated. The problem is that uh, just saying baptism doesn't tell us what that word means. It doesn't tell us if the, the, uh, the earliest followers of Jesus were trying to pick up on a particular image or get a, a specific point across. We just know that they used a word that sounded like baptism. And after 2,000 years of history, uh, you've seen different Christian traditions take this word, baptizo, and start to import different ideas and meanings into that word. And if you've ever wondered from the outside, like, hey, why are there so many different versions of Christianity? Like, why can't people agree on? Th this is one of the reasons that makes it really challenging. There, there is uh, different historical traditions about what a word like baptism actually means. 
to the extent that, that we may use, we may all use the exact same word, but we mean radically different things by that one word that we use. Let me give you a few examples, just how this plays out maybe in different uh, Christian traditions throughout uh, the centuries. I'm gonna fly over these. If you grew up in this tradition, I'm not trying to offend you or anything like that. I have friends in all of these who would be wildly upset with me that I'm you know, offering too simplistic of a version of, of what they believe. But if you grew up Catholic, for example, if you grew up Catholic, I'm willing to bet you don't remember your baptism. You remember seeing other people baptized. You may remember having to buy gifts for some reason for this family who's baptized their uh, child, but you don't remember it because it happened when you were a baby. It happened when you were a baby because in the Catholic tradition, that word baptizo, baptize, uh, has been imported with the meaning of something like cleansing or being made clean. In fact, theologically, in the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, baptism, what it does is it removes the effect of original sin in your life. There's the nuance here. In other words, uh, after your baptism, spiritually, right, you, you have a blank slate. It makes you able to receive salvation uh, from Jesus. You have a blank slate, right? You get a fresh start. It doesn't stay that way, but you have a fresh start. That's why often, uh, historically, Catholics have baptized infants to start that uh, blank slate right from the beginning, okay? Now, I've got good news for you. I have been baptized in this tradition. So, you know, as we go through, I'm covered on all bases, okay? Um, when I was two years old, two years old, my family had a, a nanny with, with a close family friend and their, uh, their older, sweet, um, uh, she was, uh, she was uh, from Peru, uh, she had the kids over one day and my, my parents came to pick us up and her daughter, who was my parents' age, said, um, hey, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this, um, but uh, her, uh, we, we called her Bita. Um, she said, Bita had all the kids uh, baptized today <laughs> at the Roman Catholic Church. So there's that. <laughs> uh, you know, my, my, my parents were like, uh, Okay, Th thanks. I guess for me, it's like, you know, well, if that one's right, then I'm good. Um, in hindsight, it should have been way harder for her to just take some random child and get, get, get me baptized, but it's true. Um, it was baptized Catholic, right? So here's the, the second way. That's Catholic baptism. The second model uh, is what we call pedo-baptism or infant baptism. This, is, is what, this still happens while you're a baby, but it's a little bit different of an idea. Maybe if you grew up uh, Presbyterian or around a uh, Methodist uh, tradition uh, or a few others like that, you, you would take a, a bit of a different angle on baptism. You still likely won't remember it if you were baptized that way because it also happened when you were a baby, but for a different reason. In these kinds of traditions, uh, you know, what we call uh, infant baptism, right? Baptism marks out somebody as being uh, considered part of God's family. So it, not, not so much that maybe uh, someone else in your family was trying to uh, enforce a worldview on you. What they were doing in that is saying, hey, we are going to raise our child within this, this kind of covenant community of God's people. We want this child to be considered a part of God's family until they can make a profession of faith, you know, when they're, when they're older and on their own. This is the infant baptism uh, position. And there, there are some good reasons to hold that position. The third one, and by the way, I was baptized this way 
Actually, when I became a follower of Jesus, uh, I was uh, probably about 13, 14 years old, uh, and I was at a Methodist church. And what they did is they brought me in front of the, front of the church, and they said, you know, Dan has become a you know, follower of Jesus, and uh, the, you know, I'm, I'm, I didn't know what to expect. I thought, I read the New Testament, I thought they were gonna put me in water. Um, and he like dumped this pitcher of water on my head. Didn't tell me about it. Like my sh- clothes were all wet and everything. Um, so I'm, I'm also good there. <laughs> but the, the point is, the point is, right, what, what the pastor was doing, he wasn't saying this marks new life in Jesus. What he was saying is you are now considered to be part of the, the family of God. That's what he was trying to communicate. Here's the third kind of uh, mode or paradigm of baptism. Third way to think about it is what we call credo baptism or believer's baptism. If you've been around any kind of Baptist church or non-denominational church or a few other denominations, uh, you, might, you, you would see this kind of baptism. This is the, uh, the mode that we hold to at uh, LifePoint. And there are a few key differences between uh, believer's baptism and other forms of baptism. The first one is that you are baptized only after you become a follower of Jesus, right? It's not, not anyone else's decision uh, put on top of you. It's, it's something you decide to do after you make uh, your profession of faith in Jesus. The second uh, aspect of this, which is really common, uh, is that it takes place in some kind of body of water, right? Not just, not just sprinkled on you, um, but, but that you actually go into a uh, a tank of some sort or a you know body of water you go completely under and you come completely out we call this immersion you are immersed in water right and there you are uh, but, but do you see, we're going to talk more about why that immersion uh, matters in a minute but do you see do you see why baptism is kind of a confusing word because across so many different Christian traditions we, we use the same word to mean very very different things so here's the, the, the million dollar question. Not just what does baptism mean, what is that Greek word, baptizo? What, what does that mean? What images does that bring up that the early church was trying to capture for us today? Well, well to get that, we have to look at two more things. I, we're almost done with school, we're going to church in a second, right? We have to look at two things. We have to look at how that word was used around the same time that the New Testament was written. And then we have to look at how it's used in the New Testament itself. What's fascinating, fascinating to me, is that outside of the New Testament, right? I mean, everyone else is writing in Greek at the same time. So we have tons of examples of how people would use different kinds of words. The word baptizo was not a religious word. It is today, but back then it wasn't a religious word. In fact, it was a word typically used to describe the process of dyeing clothes a different color. Right, so the image of, you know, you would, outside of the, you know, religious context, you would talk about, you know, a shirt being baptized if you put it in dye and pulled it out. You see the imagery there. It goes in one color, it comes out something else. It's often used to describe, you know, the process of like pickling vegetables back then. You put in a cucumber, it comes out as a pickle, that, that, that kind of thing, right? It, it's that word, uh, baptize uh, the cucumbers, Right? Next time you eat a pickle, you're gonna think about this. You're like, this is a baptized pickle, awesome. That's an idea. If anyone wants to start a Christian uh, pickle company, there you go, take that one to the bank. Right, so they, 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 or it would be used to describe like a, a, if a ship sunk in the water, 
they'd say it was baptized. That's outside of the, outside of the New Testament. And what, what's happening then is that these, the writers of the New Testament are, are picking up on some of this imagery. They want us to know, hey, th- like, that's the kind of thing that we're talking about. That's the imagery that when, when, when a uh, follower of Jesus is baptized, you go in and you come out something else. There's some type of symbolism or imagery that's trying to be connected there. Which is almost exactly what you see then when you go back to Romans chapter 6. Look again with me at verse 3. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, dipped, emerged, sunken into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we, uh, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's that process of going into the water and coming out of the water and then going on your way, walking or living a new kind of life that Paul says, hey, this mirrors the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Right? Right? In other words, what Paul is trying to say is that the practice of baptism, the, the dipping beneath the water and coming back up is like a snapshot. It, it is a portrait of the gospel. And I think that's a really helpful way to think about it, a portrait of the gospel. Because, I mean, you think about a portrait, it's, it's like a work of art. The longer you're able to look at something, have you ever seen like a painting somewhere? I, I, I like art. I like walking down uh, the art walk in Worthington, right? And every night, once in a while, one of those pieces will capture just my attention for a moment. And, and the longer you stare at it, you see different things that kind of pop in a painting, in a, in a real masterpiece where you can stare at it for hours and see new things. That's what baptism is. It's a portrait of the gospel. The longer you stare and look at, you see new elements that pop that maybe you've never even seen before. It's a masterpiece. You see the intricacies that you haven't noticed before. And in fact, if you know the person who's being baptized, you start to see different elements of their story. And uh, you, you remember them uh, as, you, know, you may remember like, hey, th- this person, they were like this a year ago. Something has happened in their life. When you think about it this way, that baptism is like a portrait of the gospel, we start to see the basic elements, the movements of the story of the gospel emerge with stunning clarity in the practice of baptism, right? With those three highly, highly symbolic movements, the practice of baptism, of going under the water, of coming out of the water and then going forward, walking in new life. Each one of these symbolizes a crucial aspect of the gospel message. Let me walk through these really quickly. The first one is that you find death under the water. You find death under the water because you're symbolizing as you go under, you symbolize your own death. And, and this, this sounds morbid at first, right? but this is an essential part of the Christian story. You see, the story of the gospel is first a commentary on what is wrong in the world around us. And unlike many other worldviews today that you can encounter, uh, Christianity says that, that we, humanity, 
are, we are a fundamental part of what's wrong in the world today. There is a brokenness that is palpable. I think things do not operate the way that they should operate. We don't operate the way that we should. We, we will wake up almost you know, on, on repeat hearing more stories of, of violence in our communities. We, we will he, we, that, that's not the way things should be. You spend any amount of time on the news. But the world does not function the way it should. There's something off, even if we can't pinpoint exactly what it is. All of us can say there's something wrong with the world around us. Christianity says, hey, there, there, there's a part of our uh, humanness that contributes to what's wrong in the world around us. Borrowing the biblical language, uh, we live in a world that is scarred by sin. That is another word that we could spend an entire sermon series on, and hopefully we will uh, in the future to unpack that. But, but for today, we can think of sin Right, this way, right? Sin is the evil things that we do, the evil things done to us, and the, the ricochet effect of the evil that we do and is done to us. The end result of sin is that you and I, we, we don't, on our own, we don't live the way that we have been created to live, our relationships are broken. Our primary relationship with our creator is marred. We, we, we don't naturally see God as a loving father. We see him as an enemy. Why? Because, because he is one who, uh, uh, we say, God, I'm gonna take control of my life. We see him as an enemy, naturally. And on our own, we live our lives from this place of spiritual and relational brokenness, right? Inevitably leaving a wave of destruction behind us at some point. One thing we all have in common, and if not right now in this moment, we will uh, a few, you know, down, down the road. We can look back over the course of our lives and pinpoint specific moments where things, we, we have done something to deeply wound someone else. More than that, we can look back and see moments where, where people have done things to us that have deeply wounded us. See, it's painful, and it hurts. And some of you, even right now, are thinking through specific moments in your life. This is often life as we know it. And on our own, we are incapable of escaping the ongoing cycle of sin that plays out on repeat in the world around us. The gospel says that there's something fundamentally wrong with humanity, but that's not where the story of the gospel ends. Because it is in the midst of our brokenness that we find one who has stepped down into our position, into our brokenness, into our place. The very message about Jesus is that he lived the kind of life we should have but, but failed to live. That he alone was perfectly obedient to all of what God had commanded and created us for. And while our failure to do so should have resulted in our death and judgment, Jesus lovingly and willingly stepped into our place, taking on uh, our guilt for the things that we have done, taking on our shame for the things that have been done to us, taking all of this upon himself as if it was his own, taking it to the cross where he was crucified, 
You see, the first movement of baptism, the first element of baptism, as you go under the water, you are pointing to the cross, you're pointing to the crucifixion and saying, that's what happened to me. That's what happened to my old way of life. Did you go under the water? You're saying, it's my death along with Jesus' death. But that's not the whole story. Because you go under the water in baptism, you are pulled back up out of the water. And when you look at verse four again, right, Paul can, directly connects this with Jesus' own resurrection from the dead, that he was not ultimately crushed by our sin in failure, but, but, but rose victorious over Satan's sin in death, that, that he has defeated what we could not defeat on our own, that what we could not vanquish in our own lives. And as he was raised to new life with victory over sin, the, the, the story of the gospel reminds us that when we put our faith in Jesus, we too, can be raised to new life, right? That we, we no longer need to live as those dominated by sin. We no longer need to live under the weight of guilt and shame that we so easily carry around with us, but instead we live a life marked not by brokenness, but by healing, forgiveness, and restoration. When you pop back up out of the water, which we're going to see in a moment, you're pointing to the resurrection and saying, that's what happened to me. It's my resurrection along with Jesus. But even that is not the whole story. And it's this, this final movement. I think we, we often forget about this one because it doesn't, it doesn't feel like part of the, the ritual of baptism, of going under and coming out again. But there's, there's a third element that Paul talks about. In fact, the, the earliest Christians picked up on this immediately. They talked a lot, of, a lot about this. Something that we've forgotten, this final movement, is that uh, when, when you are baptized, you don't just go under, you don't just come out, you go forward. You go on your way. Paul says in verse four, we were buried, therefore, uh, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk. It's a word that also means live in newness of life. We, we go and we walk in a new kind of life. In other words, as followers of Jesus, we have a new way of living. We, we are not who we once were, but we have been made new. This is, this is very interesting that you watch uh, how the earliest followers of Jesus practiced baptism. They had, they had very specific markers of where you could be baptized and what kind of water you had to be in. In fact, they wanted it to be uh, as cold as possible possible. Alan, where are you, man? We did not follow that practice today. <laughs> they wanted cold water. Why? Because they wanted this to be a shock to the system. To say, hey, following Jesus is not this, it's not, not a resort. So you go into the cold water and they would bring you up. And then, then as soon as you got out of the water and got back on dry land, they would give you a meal. And it wasn't, it wasn't what you might expect. If you've been around the church for a while, you might assume, oh, it's the, you know, it's the communion, Lord's Supper, bread and wine, that kind of thing. No. They gave you milk and honey. 
If you know your Bible well, this goes back to the Old Testament promise of God bringing his people into a land flowing of milk and honey. They're saying, now that you are in Jesus going on your way, you have entered into a new kind of land in Jesus. We're not doing that either, but it's super cool. (laughs) We go on our way. We have been made new. It's fascinating. The fourth century uh, North African theologian, St. Augustine, uh, shares a story about his own life. Um, uh, he, you know, early on, up until he was middle-aged, about 30 uh, plus years old, he lived a life uh, of doing whatever he wanted with whomever he wanted all across the Roman Empire. He would travel uh, and, you know, he describes his life, particularly in a book called The Confessions. Uh, This is one of the uh, classic books in uh, Western literature. And he talks about his lifestyle um, and focuses in on the practice of regularly visiting brothels and, and, and prostitutes and, uh, and, and you know, giving himself over to this kind of lifestyle. And yet after he became a follower of Jesus um, and has gone on to be, uh, if not the most influential thinker in Christian history outside of the Apostle Paul, he is, he is one of the, he's in the top, top five He was visiting uh, his uh, city of uh, Alexandria, Egypt, again. And he'd been walking through uh, one of the areas with, where he would often visit uh, one of the brothels. Uh, and a particular person that he had an ongoing relationship with came out and said, Augustine, it's you. I mean, like, we're here. Like, let's kind of go back to, let's, come on. I know what you do when you're here. It's Augustine, don't you recognize? It's me, it's me. And he responds to her by saying, I know who you are. I know it's you. The thing is, it's not me anymore. That is the story of baptism. All of our baggage all of the things that we have accumulated up over years, maybe decades, in baptism we're saying, that was my old way of life. That old way of life was crucified with Jesus. And I have been resurrected to a new kind of life and now I go forward living a very different kind of life. Not a perfect life but a credible life as a follower of Jesus. This is the story that baptism is telling. It is beautiful. It it is a portrait of the gospel. I often tell folks who are going to be baptized in uh, service where I'm preaching that that, the baptism itself, that's going to be a far better sermon than the one I'm going to preach. It's far better. It's beautiful because some of you are going to see this in a moment. You're going to see, uh, uh, you're going to know the story of the person being baptized. You're going to know that there's, 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 there's brokenness in that story. And yet the beauty of the gospel is that in the midst of our brokenness, in Jesus, we find healing. We find restoration. We find forgiveness. We find new life. Now, let me close with this. Four questions that I think we need to ask. These are, these are fast questions. Here's the first one. You might be thinking like, okay, what, what do I do with a message like this? 
right? Some of you, you what, what if I've already been baptized? So what, is, what does this mean for me? And it was a meaningful experience. I knew what I was doing, all, you know, all, all that, all the stuff. What if I've already been baptized? Those of you who've been baptized, I want you to see this. Every baptism you see from here on out is a snapshot of the transforming work of Jesus in somebody's life. Every baptism we get to see is like watching a miracle, we may not have been there for the whole thing, but we get to see that there, there, there is, uh, somebody was one way, and now they're, they have been made new in Jesus. I invite you to watch closely the movements as they go under the water, come out of the water, and go forward in new life. And it's a reminder that that's your story, too, if you've already been baptized, that your old way of life has been crucified You've been resurrected in Jesus and now you are invited to go forward in a new way of life. It's an invitation for you to worship and enjoy the story of the gospel. Here's the second question comes up pretty often. What, what if I was baptized as, as a baby? You know, we, we talked about this um, earlier in those two different modes. If you were baptized Catholic or uh, Presbyterian Methodist, or if you were baptized as a baby, what, what's my next step? Am I saying you absolutely need to go get rebaptized right now? I'm saying, let's have a conversation about it. Let's have a conversation about it. I'm not saying your baptism wasn't a spiritually significant moment in your life. What I am saying today is that maybe we're talking about two very different things. I'm talking about two very different things to describe, uh, you know, when we use that word baptism. I'd invite you to consider, hey, what would that mean for me to mirror the story of the gospel through uh, immersion baptism? Let's have a conversation about it. Thirdly, what if I've been a follower of Jesus for a while but haven't been baptized yet? Well, I think, friends, your next step, uh, if that's you, is a step of obedience, right? Jesus calls us to go forward and be baptized. He sends his people out in the Great Commission uh, to uh, proclaim and to baptize, right? And that, that's a part of following Jesus. I mean, more than that, I think one of the things we see over and over again in the book of Acts is that as, as a first step in following Jesus is to repent and be baptized, as this declaration that, hey, my old way of life, dead. I'm resurrected and I go forward in new life. And finally, here's the last question. What if I'm not a follower of Jesus? If you're not a follower of Jesus, the, the invitation for you today is, 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 you know, is to consider the things that we've been talking about today. You think about the way that, you know, we, we walk in here with a keen sense that something is wrong in the world around us. We may even know already, intuitively, that, that there's something in my own life that contributes to that. I want you to hear that the message of Jesus is an offer of forgiveness, of healing, and restoration. And the way this works is you are able to confess, God, I am in need of you. And you look to the cross and see Jesus' death as death in your place for your sin. And by trusting in Jesus' work on the cross, by, in other words, pledging your allegiance to him and him alone, 
you are invited into a new kind of life as a follower of Jesus to experience the healing, forgiveness, and restoration that comes in following Jesus. If you're not a follower today, the next step is to uh, repent and believe. Trust in the work of Jesus on your behalf. Friends, let me pray. We're going to have a moment to uh, respond today because we, as a church family, get to celebrate the story of baptism by watching baptism take place. Let me pray. We'll sing and we'll get to uh, watch this happen. God, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you that you are one who knows what we need before we even open up our mouths to ask. Lord, and as we've been here today thinking through uh, what baptism is, what it looks like, I know that some of us are in very different places. We have questions about the things that we've heard. God, we pray that long after we leave this place, that you would continue to preach to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pierce our hearts. Lord, where there are areas where we need to uh, have conviction, Lord, would you bring that about? God, if we need to go and have a conversation, maybe it's with uh, someone in our life group, maybe it's with myself or, or Jason, uh, Lord, I pray that you would prompt that conversation where we'd be obedient to, to follow your leading in your, the next step that you have laid out for us. I pray for all of us here today as we uh, witness the portrait of the gospel in baptism, we would do so marveling at the beauty of your story, the beauty of the gospel story. Lord, we thank you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen.